Hello and welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the... Wait, hold on. That's not Gabe. Who is that? Hey, Gandalf the Grey at your service, Sir Verum. Gandalf the Grey? Do you have I've any, uh, hijacked the uh, podcast this evening. All right, I don't know gonna... how Gandalf talks. Are you, I assume it's you're going to have some fireworks for us, some really, some really banger hot takes or something. You know my my staff is at home. Oh, you left it. I at can't home. seem to remember where I left it. Maybe Shadowfax has the answer. We don't know. Well, you went when in doubt. Remember, just have to follow your nose. So. Yes, I have a good <laughs> sniffer. That's right. For those of you uh, on the podcast and who are completely confused at this point, um, I am wearing a full beard and gray hair. Um, so if you're on the podcast and you want to <laughs> see what this looks like, check out the YouTube channel. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Plug for the quite, YouTube. Quite a glorious, you know, Halloween's just around the corner from the time of our recording. And, uh, my daughter is going to be in two parades, and uh, then there's Halloween night, so i got to have something to wear. This will nice. do well, I think. Very good. It's always nice to have a, a very popular fantasy character guest star on our podcast, so yeah. hopefully uh, Gandalf will make a, 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 another return appearance at some point, uh, so we'll see what happens. We aim to please. Maybe if we do Lord of the Rings books... He'll uh, stay for a whole episode. We'll see. Oh, yes. That'd be good. <laughs> I need to, like, watch it so I can, like, get some of his speaking cadence down. It'd be good. Yeah, you need to channel your inner e- Sir Ian McKellen, the the one and only Gandalf. Very true. Very true. All right. Uh, but, yes, Gabe, Gabe, a.k.a. the Quarantine Quartermaster, is here with me today, as always. <laughs> Um, if you want to check out pages of light content, you can check us out on social media. Uh, as Gabe mentioned, the YouTube channel, you can go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. And you can also go to pages of and see what's uh, happening over there. Uh, so yeah, welcome back to the podcast, Gabe. How are you doing today? How are you feeling about uh, t- part two? <laughs> part two is good. Um, I just enjoy the story. Like there are like this story is so different from the first. Um, it's you know like when you read a good book, you like want the next like phase to be the same as the first one, just more of it. And sure. then like you have to like, you know, I think of like Stranger Things. Like season one was like this kind of like horror, like. Right you know story and they return to that in the final season and man is that good yeah um and then but the second season it's not like that and then the third season you know it's different but they came back to their roots in the last season so it was really cool yes indeed um so yeah we're going to be doing a part two of the crimson campaign so in the last episode, we started the book and then we stopped after chapter 21. And so in this episode, we're going to be doing the rest of the book. So 22 until I think there's 44 chapters and then an epilogue. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'll be doing. 
And uh, yeah, that's going to be the the general plan. And also, we'll talk about uh, the book. We'll overview some of the different character plots, uh, and then at the end, we'll talk about. Well, at least I'll talk about book three predictions or what I'm hoping to see in the last book. Gabe can think about how not to spoil anything or not provide <laughs> any hints for me because he has already read the book. Um, but yeah, so it'll be good. I will say that that's the book. Like, I feel like I've listened to these first two books like four times. And like, I feel like I've only listened to the other one, like maybe once or twice. And, uh, yeah. I'm very fuzzy on it. Like I knew the, the basic plot lines for these two and I know one big thing that's going to happen in the third book. But again, I just, don't have the best memory so there you go yeah i don't either once i finish a book like after i'm like after like probably a week two weeks i start to get pretty fuzzy on the individual details or plot points like i'll remember the big things that happen of course are like big character moments and stuff but all the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. details just kind of s- slowly seep out of your brain and we We're talked like about high that high school ep- students <laughs> yes we talked about that on the last episode you gave us what was that what was that psychology term you used last episode? Uh, oh, yeah, the remember. tip of the tongue phenomenon. Oh, that's right. Yes. Knowing something that exists in your long-term memory but lacking the proper retrieval cue to get it out of there. Right, yes. So I'm sure all of those details exist in my long-term memory, but I don't know how to get there. So, yeah. um, yes. But I was going to say we're like high schoolers. There, It's like, um, you know, it's just like every test. You cram for the test. You right. know it for the test, and then That's you get right. on the other side of the test, and you're like, yeah, I don't really remember all that. <laughs> <laughs> you get to the final exam, you're like, yeah, I'm going to need to go back and look at that. <laughs> yep. Uh, but a good thing this is not a test. This is just a podcast, a discussion among friends, and uh, we're glad that you're here to join us and uh discussion of part two of the Crimson Campaign. Hopefully you've enjoyed our discussion of this series so far, and we'll, we will be doing uh, the last book in the series, um, I don't know, maybe in two months Couple or so? Of months? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll see, see where it happens. Lands. Well, Tyler, I have to say, I did not prepare a quote for this week, so what did you choose? <laughs> All good. Yeah, my quote... Um, I feel like I had a hard time, a harder time finding a quote in this one than I've have in uh, previous books. Um, but the one I did pick was it's from Mahali on page four thirty four. If you have the paperback, uh, he's talking to Daniel, and uh, there he says, uh, "I understand that killing is your profession, but every loss of life is great." And this was around a conversation of Daniel saying like. Uh, there was some explosion and a bunch of Kez people died and Tanya was like, ah, that's not a very great loss because they're Kez and they're the enemy or whatever. Uh, but Mahali's point was like, you know, there, there wasn't, it wasn't the soldiers. It was, you know, laundresses, cooks, like it was just in a non-military part of the base. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it's not a great loss, right? It's not, it's not a good thing. Um, so yeah, that just made me think of like, war in general is not just the like the soldiers that are affected it's all the people that are in the countries where the war is happening and there's lots Mm -hmm. of effects beyond that and you know people die in wars that have no dog in the fight they're just by innocent bystanders and you know they just happen to be in the line of fire 
uh, for that particular time. And yeah, so war is just terrible. And uh, yeah, that was just. I think about, you know, when you say that, I think about um, like dropping the nuclear bomb on um, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, Fat Man and Little Boy, and just all the lives lost that were non-military and civilian. Right. And um, yeah, I think that's a really good quote to kind of challenge us that, you know, we are all trying to get to heaven. Like those, you know, like. I think I find it funny like I've had friends in the past who like their entire life is like what you know where did you go to high school oh like our high school like football teams were rivals so therefore we cannot be friends sort of thing (laughs) and then it just continues it's like oh where'd you go to college oh you went to Penn State oh I I can't be friends with you I'm a Buckeye you know and then it's just like you have all these things that are like, you know, here domestic, like in our country, and then it moves to like the international, you know, Adro versus Kez. But like in reality, it's who's who's going to heaven and like let's save everyone that we can to go to heaven because there's gonna be two sides on the other end of death. <laughs> we're either gonna go to heaven or we're not. <laughs> yep. Forever. And I don't know forever. about you, but I've had like two years of my life feel like forever. So I don't want forever to feel like forever if I'm not in heaven. That's, you know, that's part of the reason I've come to the light is just being scared of the dark. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a big, a big motivating factor, I think, um, for people. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a good quote. Just a reminder of, you know, no loss of life is good. Even if you think like someone deserved it, like, you know, they're still no longer here on the earth. Um, that's not to say that there's not room for, you know, in the justice system, like capital punishment or stuff like that. I don't know your opinion on that. Well, we don't have to get, we don't have to get into that. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was a good quote. Yeah. You just, you picked a good one. Cool. Um, yeah, so now we'll just jump into some book discussion. Uh, so I think to start off, we're going to do Adamant and Nyla's story because they're kind of together in uh, Adapest and doing some things. And then we'll jump to Taniel and then we'll finish off with Tamis because Tamis kind of has like the big last final battle. Hurrah. That's the kind of the big climactic thing towards the end of the book. So yeah, at Alvation. Yes, at Alvation. Um yeah, I don't know. Do you want to kick us off with Adamant and Nyla? So the bi- the big thing that happens at the beginning of this section is the raid on Lord Vetus's house, and yeah, I just thought that was a really I thought it was a really cool scene, just how he described everything and just uh, especially when he was describing like how the privileged were fighting each other and just like the sheer amount of power and chaos that is happening and all of that and yeah, it was just really cool. What what did you think about that? Oh yeah, the opening salvo with Bo just like taking he's like working his sorcerer's gloves and then like the side of the house just like falls off and you're looking like right. at a cross section of like <laughs> all the uh yeah. like and everyone is like what is going on and then it just like devolves into pandelirium. I know that's not a word, but I say it sometimes. Um, <laughs> Pandemonium. Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, I thought that was just a really cool scene. Um, oh, and then when Bo gets Vetus, uh, yep. like, oh man, he just like rips his arms off. No, 
Yeah, that was and probably was one like, of the that's probably one of the most gruesome scenes in the series so it, far, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets it gets pretty brutal. Like um and then he like carterizes the wound so that like Vetus will survive so that he can be put to the question. Yeah. You know, like um and yeah, that's that was a pretty brutal scene. Um and then is there a part of you who is like Vetus got what he deserved. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Cause he was like this yeah. like evil conniving kind of character who was selling kids off to the slavers. And yeah, he's, he's just no good. Um, yeah, he, he is. He's a, he's a vile human being. Yeah. So yeah, a piece of me does feel like he got what he deserved. Um, yeah, just that, just that scene is just like him. I had to like read that part twice because I'm like, hold on, did he really just do that? I was yeah, like, it, I was like, almost it shocked of like, fast. <laughs> yeah, I like read through it and I was like, wait a second, let me read that again to make sure I actually understand what just happened. Yeah, um, yeah, it was like, oh yeah, because he asked him the question, were you the kind of kid who tore the legs off of spiders? And he's like, yes. And so he just does exactly what he would do to the spiders. Um, I guess that was his mm-hmm. reasoning for that type of uh, type of punishment. So that was interesting. Yeah, and and Bo is like angry. He's like yeah, he yelling was. at Vetus. He was like, "That's." I think he just went to the you know, <laughs> yeah. He just went a little crazy, but that's okay. We yeah. still love Bo because Bo is like a caretaker. He's like good on his word, and he wants to take yeah. care of Daniel, even though Daniel tried to kill him in the first book you know no big deal yeah Bo knows where his allegiance lies um, but he didn't he didn't want to kill him though he was he was ordered to kill him mm-hmm. but yeah you can true. see our you can see our discussion about that in our in our previous episodes that yeah. was way back in February of 2022 um yeah but I yeah Bo's an interesting character just because of the the massive dichotomy of how much power he wields and how much like anger and force he can put out and then how he acts with uh nyla and he's like really sweet and caring and i mean, like understanding and he can like there's this really there's two different spectrums of how Bo as a character can be it's like when he's normally in just like living his life. He's a great guy. But when you put him in like these crazy situations that calls for serious amounts of violence, like he can definitely step up to the plate and deliver. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I like Bo as a character. Yeah. They're good. Um, okay. So what, what did they learn from the interrogation? Because so Fell has captured and it's like Fell and Bo working over Lord Vetus. Right. Um, so I think they learned a little bit about Lord Claremont and I think they, um, and his kind of behind the scenes plans and then kind of like a lead for Adamant to um, yeah. find Joseph, his, his oldest son. Yep. Yeah, basically um, they find out or he says that he sold him to slavers and he was going over to i don't remember the place that he was being sent off to um but yeah so he's basically gets sold and he can't uh get him back and 
he asks but he asks Vetus like where did you sell them like what place did you use as like the uh to like ship him ship him off essentially and so he gets information about where the slavers were and the password that he needs to like basically get in with the people uh so he can uh, have a conversation about getting his son back and uh so yeah that's his that's his quest for most of this book is or most of this half of the book is talking with the slavers trying to get joseph back they like ask for a bunch of money essentially um they kind of like rough him up at the beginning which we find out later is because he thinks that vetus gave him the wrong password um like he gave him the right code phrase to use but then the wrong like verification password or something like that 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 person was supposed to know so like he had like half of the information right and he thinks that's why that uh they basically like uh blackmailed him like they took 50,000 krona or whatever told him he would uh bring his son back but then they just never show up essentially so yeah and yeah didn't yeah and then Vetus planted that right like that was a plan by him to give them the wrong password yeah so I think it was his work. idea to give him the wrong information um yeah. even though he was under serious duress by the bow and fell the torturing <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but before we, um, before that happens, there's some scenes throughout Adamant's story that are also with uh, Nyla as a POV character. Um, so we get some more scenes with her, and we get like a, basically we get the 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 shot or the story with Adamant during the raid on Vetus's house, and then we get like Nyla's perspective on that same situation, and mm-hmm. so we have. Uh, uh, basically, they capture Lord Vetus, and then uh, and they fell, get fell back. Yep. Yeah, fell basically is responsible for keeping him away. Um, uh, well, we kind of skipped over a thing where they like they capture him previous. They capture him first, and then they raid yep. the house. Um, and so, after they capture Vetus, it's Fell's job to keep him captured until they can finish the raid on the house, essentially. Um, but Vetus is very clever and crafty. Um, he wouldn't be in his position if he wasn't. And he's able to escape because Fell trusts her bodyguards to watch him. And the bodyguards could honestly care less about watching Vetus. And so they don't do a good job and then they get killed for it. And then uh, t- Fel-, Fel gets like thrown out of a building and falls onto the street. I was I didn't know if she was going to be dead or not. So I was... Uh, happy that she survived that fall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I essentially, mean, it very hard to get to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, but essentially, Lord Vetus escapes and he goes back to the uh, to the manor because he's going to try and you know stop them from doing whatever they're doing. And meanwhile, Nyla, uh, because Vetus got captured, Nyla was able to go free, and so she goes back to the manor because she wanted to get she wants to get. Jakob, right? That's how you pronounce it correctly. Yep. Um, so she wants to get him. And while that's happening, uh, Vita shows up and he, oh yeah, he kills the eunuch. So that's, that's the thing that happens because the eunuch, uh, finds like he gets, uh, his wife out. And, uh, while the eunuch is helping his wife, uh, Faye, Adam's wife, Faye, uh, the eunuch 
or the Vetus kills the eunuch and then Vetus takes uh, Faye captive and then that's when Bo shows up and then oh, okay. pulls his arms out. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh boy. Yeah. So lots of little details here coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lord Vetus was very limber in his escape. He was nihilist. Yeah, he was like a contortionist. Yeah, that's the word that they use. Which is funny because you know that all goes back to the Fontaine Academy. Like they're all trained like that, which is crazy. Right. Um, So after after the whole encounter with the house, Nyla approaches Bo for help. And Bo kind of takes her and Jakob under his wing and offers them protection and money and they're living together and she's like doing household chores for him like sewing his privilege gloves like back together and like trying to figure out um you know like what to do next and then Bo's like yeah I'll give you like a hundred and she was like okay that'll get us out of the city and he was like, yeah, I meant to say like a hundred thousand crowner to get out. <laughs> and she's like, what? She's like, we could live comfortably like for the rest of our lives on a hundred thousand crowner. Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, it's nothing. Just go ahead yeah. and take it. <laughs> um, and it's so like that, like right there, like God loves a cheerful giver. Right. And Bo is just like, you know, I, you know, obviously he's secretly happy to be like able to give this money. But he's always like, you know, it's no big deal, you know. But yeah. he, you, you get this sense about Bo that he's like a good person and he wants good things for people, and he's just right. like, it's a little boy and like, you know, his surrogate mom yeah. trying to take care of him. So he, you know, it's this largesse that he just wants to give out, you know, so much to people who, you know, right. he barely knows. Um, Do you think it's like a way of him for? Like to com- kind of almost like make amends for some of the terrible things uh, he's done in his life. Like he has all this wealth yeah. that he's been like stocking away for years since he was in such a privileged <laughs> pun uh, <laughs> in, a, in a privileged position with all the well, with all his money and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Being and part he's of the he, cabal. yeah, he's probably done some terrible things in his life, and he did terrible things in this. We just mentioned them. Tavitas, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. Just maybe I thought like that could be a way for him to like kind of if pay you think, penance. Yeah, pay penance if you're like thinking about like, am I good enough on a scale kind of like that? You know, some people think like if I'm good enough, then I'll get into heaven. And, you know, they kind of put themselves on a scale and like weigh their good and their bad deeds in a way. Um, but Did think, you ever see The Good Place? I have not, but my wife watched that. She said it was good. It is. It, do, it does a lot of deep dives into ethics, but like basically one of the people in the good places um i forget her name she's uh an indian actress and she like raises the most money for like these fundraisers on earth and mm-hmm. she gets in a good place so that like she would get a high score <laughs> and then like they go into her actual motives and it was like the real reason that you're achieving is because you want to outdo your sister who's like this famous like pop rock star person and that was what motivated you to like lead all of these like philanthropy like um movements and like get all this money and funding and right. stuff and i and that's sort of like um you know it's it's all about the motivation and i think bo's here yeah, they, I think that I think that's in his character that he wants to help people, but I also think that what you bring up is a very astute point that he probably also knows he's done terrible things and 
he kind of wants to like pump some good back into the world right yeah and you also see that um at the end of the book where we'll get there eventually but uh where he basically says to adamant like i want you to help me clear Daniel's name and in exchange i will go and help and get your son back from the slavers um mm-hmm. and so that's another way of him trying to do some more good in the world like he wants to free his friend's name and then he also wants to go and help uh adam and get his son back um from you know any other person would not be able to do that but because Bo is who he is then he can do some extraordinary things um so yeah there's the two sides of the coin like he's super powerful so he can do a ton of evil but also he's super powerful and he can do some really good things that nobody else could do um Mm -hmm. so yeah i like Bo. he's a good guy good character Mm -hmm. um let's see where do we leave off with um some more with uh nyla and Bo is that essentially nyla or Bo, in order to free taniel's name he gets word basically that taniel's been court-martialed and we'll talk about taniel's story uh next here in a few minutes and so Daniel has been court-martialed, but before he was court-martialed, he was sending, he sent a bunch of information to uh, Ricard Tumblr, I think it was, about some of the powder being siphoned away and like some of the military commanders getting rich off of it. Um, and so, and I think from Ricard, Bo got this information, and so he's basically looking for information uh, about those types of things to uh, free Daniel's name. And because Nyla was a uh, a laundress to one of the lords, uh, Duke Eldermans, I think Elderman. his name was Eldermans. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She and her go back to their go back to his manor where they used to live, and they try to find evidence um, of you know sh- some shifty books and stuff like that, um, and. So yeah, they go there and they they do find what they're looking for. They get they find this secret strong box near the fireplace under some board or whatever that was not in the big safe which somebody had already stolen. Um So, yeah, that's nothing really interesting about that. Um but yeah, that's just kind of what they're doing in this part of the story. Well, there was there was one thing that was really interesting about that. Sure. Which was Bo um, asked Nyla to put the gloves on and she snapped her fingers and nothing happened. And then she like turns around. She doesn't have the gloves on and Bo slaps her across the face and she's going <laughs> to retaliate against Bo. And she, he's like, stop, look at your hand. And she like turns around and her hand is on fire and she is touching the else without wearing any gloves. Dun dun dun! That crazy revelation. <laughs> yep. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's a cool thing that happens towards the end. Um, yeah, so that means that's going to be interesting for book three. So it's going to be like the Bo and Nyla power couple <laughs> with with their non biological son Jakob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what, that, what sounds, a that, sound, that sounds like a like a novella spinoff story <laughs> yeah that's that sounds like a comic book um and Jakob is also 
heir to the throne or whatever, if there was a throne. Yep, he was like fifth or something in line, third or fifth or something. Yeah. Um, yes, that's interesting. Um, because there's been, Bo has been making comments about Nyla throughout the story. Um, like, are you sure? Like, have you ever been tested to be privileged? You know, all this kind of stuff. Because, like, there's something about her that he thinks she is privileged, essentially. And then throughout this, towards the end, in this scene, he basically, like, tricks her. Like, he leaves his gloves there, and he leaves, and he's basically just sitting there, like, watching her, like, waiting for her to put on the gloves to, like, see if uh, she'll try to do something. Um, so it was, like, yeah, his way of testing Nyla to get to, to get her to try and see if she can touch the else, so... Yeah, that's that's gonna be an interesting uh, plot point for book three for sure. Um, yeah, so let's jump back to uh, Adamant. So essentially, Adamant uh, and his wife Faye have been through a ton of stuff, and you can tell that Faye is like seriously scarred by all of the stuff that's happened to her, and uh, while she was. Uh, a captive of Lord Vetus, and we don't know all the specifics of what he did to her because she's not a POV character. Um, we just get stuff through Nyla, um, but we can assume that he probably did some terrible things to her, and uh, yeah, she needs some time to recover for sure from what happened. I mean, um, she's so shell shocked that she doesn't even want to spend time with her kids. Yeah, like she's like you know usually a mother any parent is like drawn to like being with their kids especially after something like that you feel like you've been away from them so long that you want to be close to them and she just doesn't want to be near anybody so that's like a real level of harm that's happened to her and she just like and there's like times when adamant is talking to her and she's like spaced out and she like comes she like shakes and like is back in reality um so she's she's deeply scarred by her time with Vetus in the house. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also uh, Adamant's like I need to go. I can't I, for I can't remember the place where he thinks that his son was taken. The location, but he's in like Duquesne. I need. Yeah, he's like I need to go there and try to save him. Um, and I was like, no, you're not gonna go. We're not gonna leave as a fam- As a family, we are staying together as a unit. There's no more separating. That's kind of her like philosophy now is like there's been too many times where they get separated and bad things happen to either one of them. And she's like, from now on, it's either we're all going to suffer or nobody's going to suffer. There's none of this. You're going off and doing a thing and then I'm going off and doing this thing. It's just what Faye says. Right. Right. Yeah. She's like, we're all in this together for good or for ill. Um, So, yeah, that's in a way I like that. Um, But I, I mean, but again, towards the end. He's going to have to go away and help both do the stuff with and help Daniel uh, in book three. So um, I guess she does kind of relent on that uh, toward at the end of the book. Um, but you can just tell like she's so scarred that she doesn't want anyone to leave anymore. She just wants everyone to stay together. Um, yeah, because there's been a lot of trauma in that, uh, which completely makes sense from my point of view. Yeah. And um, it's like and it's just like. You have to make that choice. Like, if you were a human and you had to make that choice, like, you had a family of how many kids did he have? Like, six or seven or something? Yeah, I think six kids, yeah. And then, like, you have all these kids who are safe and they're with their mom and, like, you're the dad 
And then right. like you have your eldest child out in the wind. Right. Like there's a pull to go like take care of that, but at the same time, like for the greater good, like yeah. if you are that kid and you're the one who's captured in like enemy lands, you want your dad to come for you. Yes. And then and then like the mom is saying, We have everyone that we have and we need to be satisfied with this. Yeah. And so that's just like a huge moral dilemma. Yeah, for sure. Know? Like, I pray that I'm never in a situation like. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask you, what would you do in this situation, Gabe? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think about, I, you know, I got this political survey called me and I spent like the 20 minutes on the phone with them to like, you know, complete the survey or whatever. And they're asking me all these political questions mm. and they're like, what worries you most? And then it was like, you know, bipartisan, like not acting together and stuff like this. And I was just like, I was like, where's Russia on this list? (laughs) Because they were asking me about all these like domestic issues. I was like, I'm just like, what if we go to war? Like, like, I remember being in high school and being like 16 and being like, I can be drafted when I'm 18 years old. Like, yeah. That's a crazy you, you thought. Know. And like, I think I'm past the age of like being drafted. Um, you know, I got surgery on me. Well, I don't know about past being drafted, but I did have surgery on my knee. So I don't know if there's right. a draft. I don't want to, I don't want to go <laughs> to be honest. I want to stay with my family and live my life here. I think they'll but, draft up to like 50 if you're, if yeah. you're healthy, but yeah, continue. Yeah. Anyway. I would not want to go. I'd want to stay with my family. But, like, you know, you have to be a patriot and you have to step up if, if you're called upon by your country. And, you know, I don't think that millennials, <laughs> like, like, there's not the sense of, page, uh, sense of patriotism that there used to be in the country after, like, World War Two and the Cold War. And, like, right. Vietnam is where we started to, like, fragment as a country. And, like, there are half the people behind it, half the people were not. And, like... I just feel like there's low loyalty to the flag of the United States now. And, um, and like, if we were to have a war, like, I really feel like people would be like, I'm not joining. Just like I just said, I wasn't, you know, like I would much rather be with my family and that's the easy way, but you need people to step up and like, be a patriot and join the army and fight for what America is. And, uh, yeah, I'm just so thankful that we've gotten this far and there's been no World War Three. So, yeah, I I always worry about that. I, w- I was like, I've considered moving to Canada because like, uh, I, the, one of the best analogies was like Canada is thinking to itself like, like we were built over a meth lab, the meth lab being the United States because of all the craziness and turmoil that's been going on in our political system and everything. And yeah. Oh, all right. So those are the dark places that my mind goes. Like what? Like, like I told you last week, the term forced March is a scary term to me. I never want to be yeah, captured and, and put it on. And like, yeah, you're going to die if you don't just keep walking. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we have, um, basically after this whole ordeal, Ricard Tumblr, who is the guy running for prime minister um, and one of Adamant's close friends, 
he's basically like, hey, you guys have been through a lot of stuff. You need to uh, come with me on like basically a, a vacation, essentially. He's going to take them up. He's basically been working on this canal system in one of the northern rivers. Um, maybe I'll, if I'm in my, in editing, if I'm talking to editing Tyler right now, put up a map of, uh, of Adro and you can see up at the top of the map, there's a little river with a canal that goes through, uh, the mountain range. And, uh, so he's been working on this thing up there and he wants to take them up there to go see it and hang out and, uh, you know, not have to worry about anything essentially. And, uh, so while, but while they're going up there, they discover that uh, Lord Claremont, and I know he was in the first book, yes, but I don't remember specifically what his role was. Um, I think he just... Um, he's like the leader well, of this trading company. Yep. Does he have ties to the, uh, the Duke? Um, the guy who's really good at fencing... The archdiocese. That's what I was trying to say. I feel like him. Oh, and the archdiocese. Yeah, the guy. And and of course, the, Vetus is there, and he's directly under Vetus for employment. Yes. Um, but yeah. He, anyway, he is he is Vetus's employer. Is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, but anyway, he is essentially he is invading through the canal system because it's basically finished and. I guess before Ricard can get like everything set up and finalized and, you know, defended and stuff like he's basically used the canal against him to get a bunch of ships through and the, the canal hasn't been used yet. So this is the first time that ships are going through it. And he's basically takes a big army through the canal system and they sail down to Adapest and which is like the heart of the country. Yeah, that's, like the, it's not, that's like it's, not, it's like the capital. And it's, look, not, it's like not near the borders or anything. It's like dead center of the country. Yeah, if you looked at the map that I put up earlier, um, you you'll see Adapest in the middle of it, um, and it seems like it's basically like he's just occupying the city with these forces because all of the other military forces are towards the border of the country fighting the Kez, and so. There's this big hole in the capital because there's no there's not enough military strength for the for the troops to be everywhere. So <clears throat> essentially, he's going to occupy and like he's going to I'm putting this in quotes if you're listening on audio. He's going to run for prime minister, but I think he's just going to try to like take over leadership of the city um, or the country. And yeah, so that cuts the the vacation that adamant and Faye were hoping to have a bit short because they have to go back to adapest and you know figure out what's going on with that um he gives like this big speech at the end lord claremont does um saying like i'm here to run for prime minister and i'm gonna help everybody you know like a typical political speech i'm gonna do all these great things or whatever um but he's doing but he's delivered yeah, he's delivering it though. He's like, I brought you army, I brought you food, I brought you like gunpowder, yeah. like all these things yeah. you need to survive, basically, and yeah. fight off the Kez. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's basically where we end this part of the story is them, you know, Tamus is going to come back into uh, the country, and I assume he's going to go 
deal with this situation. So we'll have to see what happens in the next uh, book. But uh, yeah. Um, and then at the very end of the book, we have uh, Bo, like I mentioned, asking for Adamant to come help him uh, go clear Daniel's name. And uh, in exchange, he's going to go and find his son. And so, yeah, that's where we leave, leave Adamant. Uh, yeah. Did you like Adamant's story in this book? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like the family, like there is the Tamis and Taniel, like father, son, family like thing. But Adamant right. is the true family man where right. it's like his wife has been captured. His kids have been captured. Yep. So, um, you know, as you know, we're both fathers now, I, 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 I yes. feel like, like the emotional turmoil that adamant goes through you know it just makes me thankful it also like takes me to some dark places like i said i worry about war and like what if our country gets ripped apart yes but we will deal with that when we come and we will have god to lean on and we will <laughs> pray for wisdom and pray for safety yes That's what we can do um yes. but yeah so i think um yeah i like adamant's story i like adamant as a character I like Sue Smith always tagging around. Right, yeah. Yeah, I did like that scene with Sue Smith where they go to those slavers and he, they like, they beat him up a little bit, but then he's like, I would go back in there and <laughs> wreck all of them, essentially. He's like, and he looking. threw some guy out of a window, like, by his face. Yeah. <laughs> good old Sue Smith. <laughs> Nothing beats some good old hired muscle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's where Daniel's story ends. Um, Adamant story. Or yeah, not Daniel. Adamant story. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Daniel right now, though. Uh, yeah. Let's keep moving on, so we don't this podcast doesn't run too long. Um. So Daniel, basically, we leave off him where he's gonna have to go through this military court martial and this trial, and um, it's pretty much a like they've already made up their mind. It seems like in this trial. Um, and they basically want him to be gone and, uh, there's one general who stands up for him as general Hilsanka, Hilanska, however you pronounce that. Um, I think I'm trying to remember. I think you got it right. Hilanska. Hilanska. Yeah, that sounds right. Hilanska. Yeah. Um, but he votes no, um, and in the middle of this trial, though, uh, Fell, who was in Adamant's part of the story with Ricard, she, Ricard sends her uh, out to, like, speak on Taniel's behalf, essentially, because he, um, like, they get word that Taniel's being court-martialed. And so, uh, at the, in the first half of the book, Ricard Tumblr wanted Taniel to be his, like, running mate, essentially, for the prime ministership. And now Ricard sees an opportunity where he can uh, get Taniel in his pocket, essentially, by saving him from this this court-martial. Because he's basically going to be executed for his crimes. um, But because Fell steps in and, you know, like, speaks on his behalf and says, you know, basically, they almost kind of, like, blackmail the army in a sense, where she's like... She tries to say like, "Hey, he's running for prime minister. We, you know, you can't kill him. Like, we need him." And then like, "No, nah, we're not going to listen to that." And then event at the end, she's just like, 
okay, well then if you're not going to agree to that, then we're just going to pull our funding. We're not going to send you supplies, like all of this stuff. The unions are going to shut down. There will yeah. be no more like supplies being sent to the front. <laughs> yeah. And so they're basically like either free Taniel or you don't get support for the war effort essentially. And they're like, well, I guess we're going to have to do that then. Um, <laughs> so they don't kill them and they basically just, um, what is it? A, uh, a dishonorable discharge. Was that the correct terminology? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but that sounds right. Yeah. So basically he's kicked out of the military in an unhonorable way because he committed uh, treasonous crimes or so they say. And um, this leads him to uh, be approached by the wings of Adam or Adam. Yeah. I, I, I think in the book it's, you, you know, it was funny. Tyler and I were talking before the podcast and he was like, he never hears the words said out loud and I never see the words written. So I was like <laughs> typing them and, like I type couple like <laughs> like C A and then the word pole and then it's totally K A hyphen P O E L. So you know it's funny. Tyler's always seeing the words and I'm always hearing the words. <laughs> right, that's right. We have we each have our specialization. You're the pronunciation expert and I am the spelling expert. So yeah, and I need to make together, better records. Yes. Together we form a great team. Right. Yep. So Syn- synergistic. That's right. Uh, um, we, com- we complete each other. Yeah. You can continue <laughs> with that. Whatever. You okay. Do you remember uh, the um, person who hires Daniel um, after basically like as he's walking out of the court martial? Yeah. I can't remember uh, her name. Um, Is it Abrax? Yes. That's right. Abrax. Okay. It, it, Abrax. It's funny because she's like, hey, you know, you could. She's talking to him, but basically, and Tanya's like, I didn't think you'd just come over here and recruit me. And she's like, well, I don't usually do this, but like, actually, I'm just recruiting you. <laughs> it was yeah. like a, it was like a funny scene. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, she was saying he's worth 50 men on the front line, right. um, because he's the powder mage and now he's like next level powder mage, like, um, yep. basically like the, the pretty equivalent of a powder mage. Um, right. And we see that come into full force when he's uh, interacting with Kresimir here in a few minutes. Right. Um, so anyway, he finds, uh, so he's hired and he's going to go to the Wings of Adam and he's going to collect Pole. So he goes back to his tents and the dredgers are there and Pole is naked on the bed and they're like, oh, we're going to have our way with her and, um, and you're going to watch. And then Daniel just like, sees red and people die gruesomely he rips the jaw out of the first guy yeah that's all i remember and it's just also (laughs) one of the most gruesome scenes in the series although i think i think bo's pulling the pulling arms out of people's sockets is probably a little worse but this one feels more brutal because it's like it's hand-to-hand combat like he's using his hands and his fists to to physically do it yeah. yeah whereas bo's just using his magical his magical magic hands, his magic fingers, um, his spirit yeah, fingers. If you're listening on audio, I'm like doing, I don't know what's this, jazz hands or something. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's spirit fingers from spirit uh, fingers. Um, but yeah, this one felt pretty brutal. Um, but it's also like, what a terrible, like the generals of the military like put them up to doing this because they didn't get their way with uh, the court martial. 
And it just shows like all the corruption and the, you know, like how, like the military is like, like they don't hold to their own standards and they could basically just get away with whatever they want to do because they're the people in power. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of leaves like a bad taste in your mouth. Like you almost like want Daniel to like not be in the military anymore just so he doesn't have to deal with all this crap and this this BS of with all the, the military Yeah, like the bureaucracy. Right? Like, yeah, it's just he, like... You know, he, he's got the... You know, it's the epitome of, like, putting the red tape around someone. Like, you right. have someone who wants to do what's right. He wants to fight for Adro. He wants to keep the Kez back. He wants to fight for his country. And the higher-ups are saying, you can't do that. Get off the front lines. Listen to what I tell you. Right. Um, you know, so... The authority there is just... Uh, it's it's very annoying to be Taniel, and then like this is just bringing up all the the yeah. dirt at the bottom, and like that he has to deal with. Um, yeah. Um, so, all right. Yeah, so, how do we get um, Taniel? Uh, and and let's uh, also just take a moment to remember that Mahali was the one who kind of sparked this whole series of events because he talked to Taniel. Yes. About um, apologizing to Doravir. Yes. And then uh, that kind of leads to the court martial. And um, because he goes to apologize, and they basically just like are goading him or antagonizing him to like make a move. They're basically just like rejecting his apology, essentially. And they just, they're wanting which him to Which is ungracious, yeah. by the way. Which is yeah. ungracious. Just like uh, all, all of the top military people are just like the worst. Like all of them, <laughs> like none of them do anything except for who's the guy who got paralyzed? Etan. Yeah, he's the only one I like. Yeah, Colonel Etan. Every, everybody else, as they say in the in the book, everyone else can go to the pit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Brian McClellan is getting into like writing this because he's like using the word pit a lot more like in this like in this back half of this book like yeah. i see the word pit like pit all the time uh you know which is fun like i want to like use that because i don't like swear normally in my in right. life so i always like to fun, find like fun like alternatives to swearing because <laughs> i have these kids with these like filthy mouths in my class right. and like i try and model like different ways um of saying things <laughs> oh my gosh all right um this one set this one kid was saying like oh these guys are like d riders i will let your imagination fill in what that d stands for they're always after this kid and they're always like trying to get his pokemon cards and i was like okay let's not call them d riders let's call them let's say they're always up in his business so like i'm always trying to like like <laughs> coach them into better decisions things that are more socially acceptable but right man the, the language that comes out of some of these kids it's just jaw dropping yeah. um <laughs> okay um i digress um, side quest side have quest to, have to have one at least um okay so so now he's like being told that um you know, the regular military want him and the Wings of Adam, like, haven't officially, like, 
conscripted him into their like mercenaries and so he's in like yeah. limbo right i think cuz he's like a civilian you know for right. these war crimes of killing these dredgers and he was saying it was in self defense um but eventually i forget how we transition into um him infiltrating the kez camp i think there's some kind of conversation with mahali about like he wants to save his brother Kresimir because he's mm-hmm. basically he thinks he's going insane so I think he thinks that if he can uh, heal Kresimir of his um, his going mad essentially then he can have like a rational conversation with him and convince him to leave and you know stop whatever he's doing so I think that's the rationale for Mahali essentially saying okay you're in this awkward position you're basically on house arrest you can't go anywhere but since I'm a god, I can like make you invisible, and I can get you out, and, I, and then you can go and then uh, infiltrate the Kez camp. And uh, essentially, what Mahali wants is he wants he wants the blood of Kresimir. Is that what they need? Because yep. mm-hmm. he says that something about I can't remember all the specifics. If it's like something about Kapol, uh, her she has some kind of healing magic as well. If I remember correctly. Um, or is it Mahali that's going to do the healing? I feel like I don't, I don't remember the details. I'm sad to say. Um, I also was telling Tyler, uh, before we can rate for the podcast, like I was behind on my reading and like I, on my car ride, I like skipped all my conversations with my friends and just to like listen to the book. And like, even on the way home, I was like two times speed and I was like in the zone like I had it turned up so it was the only thing I could hear Vivian was like she was like dad can we can we tell a Spidey story and I was like no (laughs) and then then I like put the book on at two times speed and she like ended up falling asleep in the backseat look at the commitment to the podcast folks (laughs) well also Um, here I'll to piggyback off of that, so la- last night I was up until one thirty, finishing the book. That's late. Um, yeah. <laughs> so both of us were committed to uh, finishing the book before we recorded today because we've made a commitment that Thursday will be podcast day. So we have to be ready on Thursday. And so. I think I think that it'll create a rhythm for us. And I think like even today, I feel more ready and more into the podcast than I have, you know, those first few episodes back. And I feel sure. like just kind of the momentum of it, it's going to be, it's going to be good for us, Tyler. I think it's yes, going to be good. Indeed. Okay. Second side quest complete. There were, there were probably <laughs> okay. other side quests that we already did, but there you go. Okay. So, um, just to kind of speed it up. So Daniel infiltrates into the Kez camp. He find it and the invisibility. So Mahali gives him some magical food, makes him invisible until he gets like within a few like miles or meters of Kresimir, somewhere in there. He finds a guard. He tells the guard, take me to Kresimir. He finds his way to Kresimir. He finds the bloody sheets. And then uh, Taniel, oh, and the whole time, we, we hear about Kresimir is trying to find the eye behind the flintlock. Um, yes. And, and that's kind of, that's Taniel two shot. So he shot um, Kresimir and Kresimir wears this gold mask. And so he the, finally, you know, Taniel's find the bloody uh, bed sheets and he's grabbed them and he's going to get out of there. Um, and then there's this whole scene where 
he kind of like fights with Kresimir and like all these guards are coming in. Daniel's beating him up. Uh, and then the mask gets knocked off of Kresimir and, uh, oh, and we learned some interesting things that, uh, there's been some attempts on Kresimir's life. Like the church tried to kill him. The Kez have tried to kill him secretly. Ippoli tried to kill him. And then like the Adro spies have tried to kill him and like knives (laughs) will like turn like to putty or, or like bend when they try and attack him and yep. uh Kresimir was also hit with like artillery fire like a huge thing and it exploded off of uh Kresimir's body and like injured all of these commanders and killed people around Kresimir but Kresimir was um undamaged um so Daniel's like escaping and he runs and he jumps out the window and he lands in the river and the river is like whisking him away and then Kresimir just, like, picks up Taniel and, like, half the river and, like, brings him back into the courtyard. And then they just <laughs> proceed to, like, beat the living daylights out of Taniel. But it's interesting uh, in that scene where, like, he's he's resisting Kresimir's, like, uh, I guess, like, his, his spoken word. Yeah, his spoken word magic, for, like, to compel you to do something. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's basically, like... Kresimir is trying to tell him to stop basically and he can resist that command and he can still move although very slowly um so that just speaks to his like elevated uh power level mm-hmm. I guess yep um how he has like well how I think you mentioned he's like the pretty version of a powder mage yeah and and on top of that he also has car carpol um yeah, is his, weaving protections around him. Yeah, her wards. And uh, and there's a part where he's getting beat up, and this is right before he's put up on like you know, the cross on the huge cross. Yeah. Where he was like, I don't have any broken bones, and he was like, Is this Carpole's magic? You know, keeping my bones from breaking. Yeah. Um. So he is hoisted up. Um. So he's captured, and oh, and and one more thing, he gets into a fist fight with Kresimir you know, the God of this world. And then he just like, he gives him a good hidden. Yeah. He beats the daylights out of him. Um, <laughs> and the mask falls off and like Kresimir's eye is like weeping blood or pus. And like, it's all bruised. I, th- and I think, up. I think it was like the eye socket. Like it was his whole eye was gone. It was like dripping blood from the socket. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's why he's got his bloody sheets. Kind of another like gruesome thing there. Um, and that's why I think Brian McClellan, like, you know, there's that part of me that like loves the gruesome side of it. I love reading, um, like when Tamis or Taniel like get in their rage modes and like, oh, yeah. there's this, like when we talk about Tamis, there's like, he like charges after Nick Slaus and he's like, we, he's like Nick Slaus. And this is like right after he like goes into a powder trance and Vlora's just like, get back. <laughs> so he's just like he saw something in his eyes and Vlora was like just you you gotta get out of the way because <laughs> things are about to go down so I like the way Brian McClellan like writes these characters because they have yeah. rage issues but right. there's also like 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 Taniel has never slept with Kapol. Like he's had plenty of opportunities you know they talk right. about impropriety in the in the army and he's never done that you know, and Tamis like hates people, but like you can get behind why, you know, Nick Slaus yeah. beheaded his wife, 
and like he you know views that as a failure um and and they're just so mad and that they get like they go into these rages and stuff but i don't know i just like i don't have to rage against people now that i've read like tamas and like tanville like (laughs) raging on people yeah um (laughs) you can live vicariously uh, through their rage yeah yeah it's good because then it's like sublimation like it comes out in appropriate form like i don't have to live like because someone else is getting to do it for me (laughs) yeah did did taniel sleep with cup hole in this in this half of the book though i thought it was implied that he did maybe we haven't maybe that's towards the end uh i don't i don't know know. if it was explicitly stated that he did did they i think they kissed i know they kiss yeah yeah they kiss that's the yeah that's at the towards the very end um yeah but i think that's as far as it's gone but okay. i could be wrong maybe yeah maybe i misread I, something i didn't but. i didn't le- i didn't read it like three times like i did with some of the <laughs> the yeah. great hunt and everything yeah um okay so Daniel beats up Kresimir, but he's captured and he's beat up multiple times he's strung up on the cross and he has these Weird conv- conversations with Juline. She's like, the worst part about not dying is not dying. And she's like screaming in agony as she like switches which arm is like holding up her entire body. And I loved her. And de- the description of her face it was like she was missing teeth, like half her hair was gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, just like totally ravaged by the Kez army and just and can't she, die. And she doesn't have hands either. So. That way, they, she yep. can't do her magic. So, yeah. Yeah. Also brutal. So, Kresimir took her hands and everything, and Daniel's up there, and then Kapol comes in to the to rescue him, and then she's being overpowered. But Daniel has managed to like work free of his bonds, and he's up like, you know, six or seven stories or something. I think that's how high the crosses were in the first part of the book, and drops down and just like kills people, and then. Tyler, I told you it was coming. When Kapol like dumps out her knapsack and all like all these wax dolls start coming out. He was like, there's five, then there was ten, then there was a hundred, and then there was like a thousand, and then an impossible number of dolls coming out of it. When I read that scene, I just love it every time. It's just like <laughs> I just see like like a, a geyser of like wax dolls just like poof, like exploding from inside that sack and then she is like controlling like a whole army like that yeah. scene just like oh like you don't see it coming like yeah. <laughs> I, I just yeah that when I read that the first time I was just like what just happened yeah that's such I guess a cool she scene. I guess she had a lot of time to make thousands and thousands of dolls. Yeah, because every think, time, or I think it's implied that there's some kind of magical thing with it where the dolls can multiply or something like that. Yeah, like we we don't truly know, but like there are many times in the book, like you know, um, Kapol has made like a doll of fell, and like right. she's walking around the dead battlefields making dolls. Like she has after, a doll of like she has a doll of Taniel. Oh yeah. Um, I forgot that detail. And uh, she had a doll of Kresimir. Um, yep. That's why he wanted, uh, she wants his blood. So she can mm-hmm. control him, I think, right? I think so. 
And uh, and at this point, I think Mahali dies. Yeah, he, he comes into the scene and he's trying to talk to Kresimir. And they have like a cordial exchange. And then I think there's just some like there's a light or an explosion or something from Kresimir. And then basically when Taniel looks back, then Mahali is just gone. And mm-hmm. so we don't know exactly what happened to him, but we just know that he's not there anymore. Um, so, yeah, that'll be revealed in book three, I would assume, if uh, Mahali comes back or if he doesn't or what the story is with that. Yeah, there was. I, You know what? I um, I think I remember, but, I, but there was a line that stuck out to me in the reading, which was... Um, Someone's describing the magical backlash that happened when Mahali died, and they, they said it was similar to the what happened when Kresimir was shot through the eye. But they also said um, this one with Mahali felt more permanent. Oh, so, right. That's right. I do remember that line. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so there is that kind of like um, hint from uh, Brian McClellan. Yes, because Taniel was there whenever he shot Kresimir, so he knew what that was like. And so mm-hmm. he could compare directly to what happened in this scene, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that makes sense. And then, so Taniel and Karpol, like, Karpol controls, like, the whole army. She's getting, like, the dolls to fight each other. Like, so they, they make the description of the dolls are like fighting each other, but then there's also some dolls that were fighting like invisible forces. So those indicate like soldiers that are surrounded by people not controlled by couple and, and they're fighting off those guys. And then the dolls are fighting each other. And then, so there's enough pandelirium that, uh, they can escape out of, uh, the camp and make their way over to safety. Yeah, um, and I think that's where Taniel's um, yep. timeline comes to an end. Yes. So, what do you think of uh, what do you think of the whole like Kez Camp, Julene, and the escape for um, Taniel? Yeah, it was cool. I liked uh, how he took that guard hostage and was just like taking him around all these different places, and then at the end, he like. He's like, I can either kill you or I can tie you up in this tree. Which one do you want? <laughs> and the guy, I just thought that was a funny scene. Um, and uh, I, at work, thing, we called those giving those uh, like we call those giving our students dignified choices. <laughs> dignified choices. That's good. Yeah. Um, I think a part of me would have liked to see, because uh, at the beginning of the book. Ricard Tumblr approaches him and says, Hey, you should, you know, run for prime minister with me. I think a part of me would have like liked that to happen. Like seeing that side of the store, that side of the, oh, like, like, like the world, like more of the like political the stuff. Politi- mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, okay. maybe like Daniel, because he has such uh, knowledge of like warfare and stuff, like he could maybe, you know, do stuff from behind the scenes to control the war effort in that way. And then if he's in the prime minister, he can control the, you know, the, the military people who are super corrupt and stuff. So that could have had more influence on maybe, uh, resolving those things from that end of the spectrum. Um, so I don't know. Part of me thinks that would have been a cool kind of Avenue to explore. Um, or even they could have had an opportunity to do that halfway through, um, whenever he, gets discharged and he's going to go 
uh, to the wings of Adam. But before then, because uh, Ricard basically got him freed, he owes him three years. So I think that would have been a cool thing to like explore in book three, where like he gets discharged and then he has to go back and you know do the political stuff for a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, don't know. I, th- I think that could have been a, an interesting angle to take. I know you mentioned like Stormlight, Stormlight Archives is kind of that way with like the political intrigue. Uh, I think I mentioned Mistborns more like that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I still haven't read either of those series, so yeah. I, I get them confused. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. But Mistborn has like the the houses, uh, political alliances, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. At least the first book does. Um, the other books have some of that, but it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that could have been like a cool angle to explore. Uh, cause we haven't really got any, um, we got some political stuff in the first book with all the, like Tamis's council and stuff, like figuring out how to run the country and things like that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I did like, uh, Daniel's story. I think he's just kind of, a. I feel like he's almost a character without a purpose. I feel like he's kind of, in this situation where the only thing he knows how to do is kill people, which is what Mahali says. Like when I mentioned in my favorite quote, like your profession is just killing people essentially. Um, and I feel like that's basically all he knows how to do. And then if he's not doing that, like he doesn't feel like he's fulfilling his purpose. So I feel like it might be interesting to explore in the, in the third book, like what is Daniel's purpose beyond being, a soldier like does he have a purpose beyond being a soldier like does he have some kind of uh deeper level within him um so i don't know just yeah my thoughts on yeah that. no i think i think that that's really astute to kind of uh talk about that because you know i identify this is going to be a really weird analogy but like i identify with that statement that like at a young age like my identity just like Daniels is killing, like mine was right. ultimate frisbee. Like True. it decided so many things in my life. Like, uh, like I started in high school, and then like I went to Penn State, and then like I was friends with the frisbee team, and like five nights a week, you know, practicing frisbee every night. Who did I hang out on the weekends? The frisbee team. I moved to Louisiana. I started a frisbee team at my high school. I like traveled two and a half hours to play a two hour game and then two and a half hours home so that I could like do Frisbee. Um, and like, I feel like it's very human to be like so into something that it forms your identity. And like, the only thing right. that we're really supposed to do that with is Christ and yep. like fi- find our identity in Christ and like that's the driving force that makes the decisions about what what we should do who we should spend our time with and like the decisions that we make but so many people just like me you know they find their idols like a lot of times it's sports just like mine was a sport you know mine's like not a common sport ultimate frisbee but like people like baseball wrestling football soccer uh, field hockey, softball, like these are all things that people are into and then like yeah. their lives just shape around them. Um, yeah. So, and I, and I feel like Daniel is doing that. Like I'm good at killing. That's all I know. I'm, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I could be in the back lines, but you know what? I'd rather be killing Kez and holding the line right. in the front because that's who I am. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, these are young characters like, Bo, you know, they mentioned like he's young, but he looks like he's seen so much 
you know, like that's what Nyla's observation. Nyla is young. Right. Olam is young. Vlora is young. Yeah. I think, yeah, so, Tamis, Tamis and Gavril are probably the, the older characters, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, they have history together from, like, previous wars and everything. Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I think Mahali kind of has a... Like, he is almost trying to, like, speak into Taniel's life. Maybe try to get him to, like, pick a different path. Um, but now that Mahali's gone, I don't know. I think there might be some... I feel like Taniel has more... There's more something more to his story than just killing Kez. So I'm going to I'm going to look for that in book 3. So okay. All right. Um all right. Yeah. How do you want to do Tamas? Tamas. <clears throat> um yeah, Ooh, I mean, Tamas. let's just let's just start with his uh his trick on the Kez cavalry. So he's luring them into this trap that he's setting and he doesn't know if it's going to work. And uh, he's doing this interesting thing where he's he's making his own troops like think that they're gonna fail. So in a way, he's like he's setting a trap. Like he knows that it's a trap, but his a lot of his soldiers don't know what the plan is, and so he is kind of banking on the fact that some of his soldiers are going to act in like a way that will entice the cavalry to charge because they think that you know oh they're being afraid like they think they're going to lose and so some of them are fleeing across the river and so like now's the perfect time for us to charge we're going to catch them off guard and all this stuff and so there's this interesting balance where tamas is plotting uh this like master plan but he's not revealing all of the information to all of his troops um so yeah, it's just interesting as a commander, like you're you're making a plan for the good of the whole team, but you're doing it through like a deceptive way, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I, I just have personal experience with that with a company that I once worked for and um, like information was very like you cannot repeat this. Do not tell anyone outside of your department about you know right. this change that's like in the pipeline and is coming like we don't talk about it until we have everything figured out and we have all of our eyes dotted and our t's crossed and it just like like i was able to do it it's just you know i just want more transparency like yeah. you know but you know what was good is like they did have like a wide net of like they if it involves someone they weren't going to surprise them with it down the line they were brought in early into the conversation and we talked through things that need to happen with the appropriate people and i've also worked in institutions where everything's done over email on like what what people are feeling at the time and there's no like deep discussion about like yeah. What is the best approach? It's more like we're putting out fires and uh, we just need to do this now. And then in hindsight, well, maybe that wasn't the best way to handle that. Whereas like the first company I, you know, um, that I worked with um, was just like, we're, we're going to talk about very deeply and make informed decisions, which I think is a great model, but they did use that like very like on a need to know basis sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting strategy because he wants to make 
it convincing to the enemy. So, mm-hmm. um, which it, it works. Um, and so the, they charge and they've basically dug this big like trench along their line and they've covered it with, um, like shrubs and brush or whatever. And they've have, they have these big spikes in there. And so when the kids charge, all the horses like just topple into this pit or this trench and, uh, they all get skewered. It is kind of sad hearing all of the, you know, like all the horses are dying. So yeah, that's kind of no fun. Um, which there's another scene where Tamis basically runs his horse to death and then has to like put it down because it broke its leg or whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of like horse horse death in these books <laughs> because yeah. horses are a big part of the military. Um, so yeah, if you're squeamish about animal death, this might not be the, uh, the series for you. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, for sure. That's, that's true. Unlike um, Rangers apprentice where the horses are always fine. <laughs> that's good to know isn't that isn't that isn't that more of a kids level book though yeah it's like adolescent right yeah um and yeah i like that series it was fun yeah um okay yeah so there's this giant pit and they just like describe all the horses and all the people dying and like getting trampled and it basically fills up it was like super wide super long and super deep and then there's just all these horses and all these men just like filling it up. And that's how Tamis is able to break Beonjipoli's um, attack on him and he's able yep. to capture him. Um, and so they're marching through the Kez, um, you know, countryside and they are approaching Camomir's grave. Um, and Camomir is uh, Gavril's brother, and Gavril and Tamis are related through Erica. So Gavril and Camomir were Erica, which is Tamis's wife's uh, brothers, and so Gavril treats Tamis like a brother. Um, and Camomir was also a brother to Tamis, and he died um, in Kez. I think it was on an attempt to assassinate Ippoli. Um, and then they like things go south and they have to like escape. Um, but Camomir doesn't. And, um, it's weird. Tamis has like this internal struggle where he's like, um, or where he's like telling Gavril like, Oh, I don't know where the grave is. And then in his internal monologue, he's like, I know exactly where the grave is. Um, Tamis has all these weird, like he acts in like, certain ways even though like his heart or his conscious is like pulling him in a different direction um yeah or vice versa like he yeah you know he feels more strongly about something than he lets on like he does that too um so him and gavril get into this big fight um because uh, Gavril is accusing Tamis of not being like a brother to his brother and he's like how could you and Tamis is saying well how could you you like fell into a bottle for like 12 years like and then you're gonna come at me and so yeah. they get into it um, and Gavril so they, they're broken up um, Olam and Beonj Ippoli come and they talk to them and 
then there's like an outrider um, that's coming towards Tamis and Tamis being the powder mage, he starts uh, killing the Kez behind the rider and he takes out like all the people at the back of the pack and then he kills them. And uh, during this time, Gavril is in a different, like he's off riding and he's captured by a different group of the Kez and he's taken as a prisoner to Alvation, which is in Delev and it's a city in Delev. So this means that uh, Tamis is approaching his uh, his re-entry back into Adro. So, um, but he rides off trying to find Gavril and, and just like Tyler just said, like he runs his horse to death and he's got to kill the horse. And, um, and then eventually Vlora finds him. She, she rode off after Tamis and yeah. is able to partner up with him to do first watch and, and get some sleep and wait for the army. Um, so that gets us to Alvation. So um, Gavril has been taken to Alvation, and that's what's leading Tamis there. Uh, but as they're traveling through the countryside, there's rumors of the Adran army, which is Tamis's army, coming through and hurting people and killing people and moving to Alvation. So Tamis goes and kind of scouts out Alvation, and he sees all these Adran, his army's uniforms out there, like, yeah. and they're obviously occupying Alvation. Yep, and so that's the big Kez ruse is they are playing a dangerous game where they're going to become uh, the Adran army and then burn Alvation to the ground and make it look like Tamas did it so that the Delev um, military will get involved on the Kez side right. or at least just against Adro. Yep. And then uh, Adro has to fight two wars instead of one, and then outnumbering and, and um, you know Adro will fall because they don't have the military strength to take on Delev and um, and the Kez army. Yep. So yeah. and that's that plan is being run by Nick Slaus, the guy Nick from Slaus. the guy from Book One. Who was it when uh is that when Taniel like threw him into the river or whatever or into the Ad Sea? Tamis that that? threw him in. Oh, yeah, Tamis, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um Cause he's bringing the accords saying how Adro right. needs to like pay Kez all this money. Right. <laughs> and he's like, I'm throwing you in the river, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's an it's an interesting plan. Um but it's it's also interesting because they've captured Say his name again, Bayon. You're the pronunciation. Bayon Je Ippoli. Yes, Bayon Je Ippoli. Um, and Tamas thinks that like he's one of the, he's one of the good sons of the king, and he's more reasonable, and he's more, uh, like I think he's easier to talk to, and you can like more rational, you can have a rational discussion with him about, you know, like, how can we both profit, or how can we both, you know, win in this situation, um. And so he's like, he's like mad that the Kez are destroying their own land to make it look like the Andrans are doing it. Um, and so that, and that's on his father's orders. And so that's breeding some uh, discontent between uh, the Kez kind of leadership. Um, so I think in Tamas's mind, he's hoping that. Potentially, if they get to kill 
his father that maybe Beyonce Ippoli will be able to take over as the ruler and that will be a much better ruler uh, for the Andrans to communicate with instead of his father um, yeah so Correct, some, yeah. Politi- some political you know stuff going on there um, but yeah that's interesting um, so but it's, it's an interesting plan um, to just try to get the the Delive uh, nation on the side of the Kez um, although it is pretty uh, <laughs> immoral, I guess you would say, to just essentially burn an entire city, civilians, like everybody's just going to go down um, to get what you want with the war. Um, yeah, it's, I guess you make tough decisions and questionable moral decisions whenever you're in uh, in wars like this. Um so yeah and we know nick slouse just like he he's out he does out for blood you know to get right you know to kill to bring adro down and tamis um yeah. so uh we get a little bit of backstory with tamis in alvation so he meets demaslin and helana um yeah. And so Helana is one of Tamis's like lovers post Erica. So Erica was his wife, beheaded by Nixlaus, who brings him brings Tamis her head, and like we kind of revisit that as Tamis goes into his rage and like um, yep. tries to kill Nixlaus. Um, but so he and Helana were together for a few months. Um, and she's a Delev, and her brother is Sabon, who we met in the first book. Um, and he dies, and he's like um, Tamis's right hand man. And I think he dies when they uh, storm. Um, yes. The, At the uh, end of the book. Yeah the the estates uh, of uh, the. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking on his name too. <laughs> Um, we mentioned it. Yeah, the Archdiocel. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and he's got that whole army in there with all their air rifles and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then Demaslin is like a duke uh, in this Delev area, and so he's used to commanding troops, and they are basically the resistance in Alvation to fight off the Adrans, who are actually Kez dressed up as Ad- Adrans. Um, led by Duke Nixlaus. And so they've been trying to figure out a way to thwart them and to get them out of the town. And so they're the resistance. And Tamis has um, history with Hilana. Um, and then he meets uh, Demaslin for the first time. Uh, and right before this, like, Tamis goes all powder mage and, like, like kills, like, six Kez Adran people <laughs> outside the house and then just yep. like it's like a dance he's like you know hitting people with the sword and then getting out of the way and then ramming yeah. people through and then Laura shoots someone Vlora yeah. shoots someone excuse me um, so he works with them after like some initial heat and anger um, with these two because you know it's supposedly his army that's killing everyone Um, So they have to overcome that. Uh, So he learns that Nixlaus is in town commanding this army. And Tamis, as we 
you would hate anyone who beheaded your wife. I'm like, that's just, yeah. I mean, that's just where you end up in arch enemy territory if you do that to someone. That's just hands yeah. down what's going to happen. So, um, Tamas is going to, he is going to mix business with pleasure here. He's going to aim for Nixlaus, uh, and he's going to try and save Alvation and then, you know, fulfill his vengeance desire on killing Nixlaus. And he's also trying um, to free, he's also trying to free Gavril because Gavril has been captured. Oh yeah, that him. is a big motivator. Yep. He's right. like, where are they holding the prisoners? Like we have to find them. They're at the barracks. And so... Um, he gets uh, Tamas and his powder mages and we have Andrea who is like this bloodthirsty powder mage and he's like yeah. he's like I, I just imagine him like <laughs> holding his rifle like in a knuckle white grip like grip like foaming at the mouth saying I need to kill Kez sir and he's just like Jones in for a fix he's like you promised me I could kill Kez yeah. and <laughs> and so he takes him and Vlora up, and then they're storming Nix Laus's, um, like, uh, bed and breakfast, like, well, manor they go, home. They go through this, like, secret passageway that gets them yes. right in, mm-hmm. um, because Helana has this secret passage that, because she's lived there her whole life, I assume. Um, yeah, she was governess for, like, 30 years. Yeah, so she probably knows all the secrets, so... Yeah. yeah, they're able to get like right in behind enemy lines and uh yeah, they're waiting for I think they're waiting for Damasalin to do something at six o'clock. There was like this discussion, it has to be at six o'clock, you have to wait or whatever. Yeah, they're providing a distraction so that he can um free prisoners. Right, yeah. Um Yeah, and essentially like they just they attack and you know, it's craziness. It's like in the at the end of book one, there's there's this big battle of like, I feel like at least in book one and in book two, both of these are ending with Tamis on a mission of vengeance to get this one person. So in book one, it's the same person. (laughs) Oh, oh, I thought it was the Archdiocel, but I guess Nick Slaus was there as well. Yeah, because he takes his hands. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. It is the same person. Yeah, that that point skipped my head for a second. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but as we find out, so there won't be any Nick Slaus in book three because uh, he does not make it out. Um, yeah. So there's this big chase scene, and there's a bunch of wardens, and like Tamas is fighting the wardens, and Vlora fights the wardens, and. Um, Nick's louse is constantly calling for his guards to attack Tamis and he's running and running and running and he gets in a carriage and then Tamis just like goes full powder trance and it's like he's running faster than a horse. I think he doesn't he take like a whole like powder horn just like he just like I, I think he, he like drinks the whole thing. charge. Yeah, he usually just sprinkles just a little bit on his tongue to like yeah. give himself an edge, but he's just like He's just going full powder mage. He's just yeah. like, nope. He knows when's to bust it out. So, yeah. um, so he chases um, Nick Slaus, who gets into a carriage, um, and he finally catches up. And the carriage, he tur- like he uses his third eye. He sees that Nick Slaus is in the carriage, um, and he goes and he like 
he has to kind of dig it out a little bit, I feel. Because it's all raining and muddy, and yep. he looks inside and he sees that um, Nick Slaus has broken his neck and like died in the carriage, and he opens his third eye again, and all the um, yep. stuff from the else is gone. Um, and so we wrote this together at the before the podcast, and then I just wrote this question, and we're gonna get Tyler's thoughts on it. Why do you think Brian McClellan killed Nick Slaus in the carriage accident and didn't let Tamas get his revenge? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. And like the whole book is like building up to Tamas getting his revenge. And then in the end, he doesn't get it. And it's kind of like it's almost like an anticlimactic ending where you thought there was going to be like a final confrontation and Tamas was going to be able to like say exactly what he wanted to say. And Niklaus, Niklaus is going to try and defend himself or whatever and say his piece. And then Tamas is going to get, uh, give Niklaus what he deserved. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, maybe it's something along the lines of like, you can search for vengeance all you want, but it probably, if you get it, it probably won't satisfy you. Um, yeah, Did you I don't read know. my mind? You just stole like the words right out of my head. <laughs> we did not talk about this beforehand. <laughs> no, we did not. I just asked the questions because I like was kind of thinking along those lines already. I was just like, yeah, I think it's a commentary on how like the end result was the same. Nick Slaus was dead. So Tamas yes. has quote unquote his vengeance, but like he didn't get to carry it out. And yeah. you know, it's like you said, it's like anticlimactic, but at the same time, Nick Slaus is dead and that's what Tamas wanted. But yes. like it's kind it's all like kind of moot. And yeah. like I think and I think that's what Brian McClellan is trying to draw your attentions to. It's like you could be the big bad. You could go out and hurt someone to get what you want. But yep. you know, in the end, is it really do like is it like yeah any good doing it that way um so yeah. i i found it to be a little poignant um but yeah so you you just saying that was just like articulating what i was what i was thinking myself about that situation yeah it's like he does he want the justice or does he just want the revenge for his own personal gain like he Ooh, wants like he wants to phrase like it. he wants to feel it himself like he wants to yep. be the person to enact the punishment he doesn't just want the like the true sense of justice to happen um it's mm -hmm. like he wants to feel the power in a sense i just remembered this like thing that i had uh highlighted when i was reading and it was um whenever they were uh i think it was whenever gavril and tamis were at came near's grave and they were talking um, mm -hmm. and he says that night we buried came near is the night I decided to kill Manhooch. Um, and then he says, I decided to start a war, not for the people's rights or because Manhooch was evil or for any of the other drivel. I tell my supporters, I started a war to avenge my wife and brother. So I think for this whole time, like this has just been Tamas's like personal revenge story and his personal vendetta against people. And he's not, he doesn't have as much as he wants to say that he has altruistic motives, like for the people or whatever, he really did it for himself. Um, and so that's just really revealing for his character. And, you know, that's like his motivation. And at the end of the book, like 
Tamis doesn't get to fulfill in like that drive that he's had for the past two books to kill Nixlaus. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting way to end the book. It wouldn't, it's not like it doesn't have the climactic ending, um, but it's certainly, I think it's a fitting ending for Tamis to learn a hard lesson potentially. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like, I, do you feel like it's almost reminiscent of Daniel shooting Kresimir at the end of book one? In what way? Like where there's where there's like all this build up, like a god is coming back to the right, planet, right, right. and like, and then like Daniel just shoots him through the eye, and you're like, yeah, go, like, oh, is that it? <laughs> yeah, and then like, you know, there's this whole thing of him like coming back as like a half half god, half ghost. He's like, oh, yeah. the eye behind the flintlock, and he's like half insane. Fine. Yeah, he's like half insane. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't want yeah, that. But- half insane person to be a god that you have to bow to yeah <laughs> that's why i like our god the god of the universe <laughs> and his <laughs> infinite right. wisdom and justice yeah um, who can do no wrong i um, guess brian mcclellan is all about the anti-climax he wants you to build up to some big thing and then it's a a slight twist on what you what you thought was going to happen at the end yeah um, maybe but a, he does get his his characters mad and they do see red and yeah get all ragey hopefully at the bad. end of book three since it's the end of the trilogy we'll get a true climax that is fulfilling for the reader and for the characters that are involved because i feel like now it's kind of like i mean it's it's cool for us to read how like that will affect the characters in the story but the characters themselves aren't getting that like it's not a, like a win for them in their book, I guess you would say, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, that's a good question. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Good chat. Um, yeah. So that's basically where we leave off with uh, Tamis and the end of the book uh, basically just ends off with uh, basically there's this, there was the plot to like burn the town or, or burn the town to the ground. And so essentially they had put powder throughout the whole city and they were going to light it all up. And that was going to be how they burned the whole town down. And, uh, as they're trying to enact this plan, Tamis is trying to like control the powder explosions and make them smaller than what they could be. And that's really difficult to do. And he doesn't really succeed at it. And so there's this big explosion and, uh, Tamis, uh, gets knocked out and then he wakes up a little bit later <clears throat> in the aftermath and he finds that, uh, the Delive is it the Delive or the Delive? The Delive? Uh, I think that the Delive. So, yeah, so the, the Delive show up with all of their troops and um, there's, there's a funny scene where he wakes up and there's this guy sitting there. He's like, who the heck are you? He's like, I am Delive. <laughs> and then Tamus is like, I want to know who you are, not where you're from, you fool. And then he's mm-hmm. like, well, I am Delive. I am <laughs> like, I am the leader of the Delive people, essentially. And Tamus is like, oh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I did not understand. It was just yep. funny. Because Tamus is always yeah. like Tamus is always the guy in power. He can always talk down to people. But in this yep. scenario he kind of gets to eat his words, which is which is good. It's mm-hmm. it's good whenever Tamus can get knocked down a few pegs, he can be humbled a little bit. Sometimes I think Tan Tamus is kind of on his high horse a little too much. 
Um, you, you know, I I kind of like I feel like Tamis tries to be as humble as possible in some situations. Like yeah. I just I like how like he doesn't take food before his soldiers. That's he true. will walk he will walk with his soldiers instead of riding his horse. Like but he was saying like he's right. been injured and his leg was hurting, so he kind of needed to ride the horse. But like I, I just feel like he is all he's putting a lot of people in front of him um, yep. himself. He, I think he does that a lot. Um, and then like when he rages on Nick Slaus for killing his wife, like you feel like his heart's in the right place. Like you want to see him have that vengeance. But in reality, right. you know, God doesn't want us to seek vengeance because we're supposed to trust in his infinite justice. Like when someone is doing something wrong. Right. Like we can see it and we can feel like we need to be the hands of God who like jump into that situation and correct that person like forcefully even, you know, yeah. but um, we're supposed to trust in his sovereignty and his power and then and know that like that um, he will take care of it in the long run and we don't have yeah. to. And it helps us as Christians to stop being bitter and stop like wanting bad things to happen. Um, to bad people or people yep. who are against us. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, so the leader of the Delve is with Tamas, and now Tamas has this huge supply train. He only has 2,000 fighters from the 7th and 9th who are ready to go, but he now has 50,000 Delves, and they're all marching into Adro to fight off the Kez. And then at the very end of Tamis's timeline, uh, a writer comes up and says that um, Adro is being put to the torch. Um, and, you know, if we look at that from the perspective of Adamant's story and we look at Lord Claremont and his landing, uh, all the troops are starting to burn the churches, all the uh, churches to Kresimir. Yep. Um, and so that's probably what's being referenced to Tamis. But all Tamis knows is that there's fires and the heart of his country is being threatened. And yep. so, you know, I'm sure that leaves him like anxious and wanting to get back to um, Adro and Adapest as soon as he can. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> and that is where we end our story. Um, oh, we finally made it. The end of book two. We did it. We did it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I did like this book. Do you? Did you like this story better or worse than book one? You always ask me this, and I always struggle because I always <laughs> just like I always enjoy the journey. Um, yeah, I get it. <clears throat> let's see. You know, I think I would say that I like the first book better. Um, with all the like just all like learning the powder mages and like the privilege and then there's right. like after you're like oh i know i know everything about this world then there's like the pretty you know you learn about that yeah. and then there's like a god and there's like you know these reveals going on yeah and this one um i i found like the storylines just to be very interesting like stuck behind enemy lines uh you know Taniel being like superhuman and adamant putting like like adamant and lord vetus going head to head you know trying to 
figure out where Vetus is hiding and how to overcome all of Vetus's defenses. Um, it's just an interesting story. Um, yeah. And I find it different from the first book, but I really like the first book and like learning all the different like magical components of the society and yeah, there's more mystery the universe. Um, so yeah, I think I do like the first one a little bit better, but I also like this book because it's just it's a journey that like walking into it you're just not expecting. Yeah, yeah, I think I like this book a lot for the character development and just seeing where our characters are taken to different places and different situations and you know we really get to see like their true colors um and then yeah just our discussion with tamas at the end of this story like he doesn't get the this uh like the he doesn't get to have his vengeance in the end um and just seeing like what that's gonna do like does that is that gonna free him from his uh like will he have a breath of new life and have you know, like new resolve or something and will that make him a better character uh hopefully because um, that just that person that he had so much rage against is now just out of the picture and he doesn't have to think about you know that person at all anymore so yeah just yeah i did like this book um i agree with you i think the i like the first one a little bit better but yeah they were both they were both pretty good uh so hopefully he can stick the landing for book three and uh yeah i'm excited to see like how everything ends um even though i know there's another trilogy that happens after this uh so there's more stuff that happens further on in the storyline but this will yeah, be the end and of it's, the trilogy yeah it's the end of the trilogy and like this the second um trilogy is like 10 years or something after this one okay. and it's mostly in fatrasta okay and that's cool. all I'll say. It's good. <laughs> and Fata- and Fatrasta is like, just in case your memory's uh, not serving you, it's like, I almost look at it as like America because it's kind of like described as like a place that's being colonized by right. like a civil society. And it kind of, you know, that's where Kapol was found and it's kind of right. has some backwater places. Oh, excuse me. It's getting late. <clears throat> it is. Time to wrap it up. All right. Tyler, yeah, book up. three predictions, go. Um, yeah, book three predictions. I'm hoping, yeah, to see a lot of uh, Bo going to get uh, Joseph back from the slavers. I think that'll be cool. I want to see Bo. I want to see the Bo and Nyla power couple with uh, <laughs> Jakob. Um, that's gonna be sweet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Nyla learning more about her powers will be really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, just seeing Tamus being relieved of that vent- revenge will be interesting to see how his character goes. And, um, yeah, I guess I'm not sure who, like, the big bad is going to be. I guess it's just going to be the Kez army and Kresimir is the last big bad. Um, there might be someone else who pops up um, that we'll figure out in, in that book specifically, but... Uh, for right now, I guess it's just the Kez and Lord Claremont too. So I'm interested to see like where he's gonna, what he's gonna be doing, and what his kind of motives are. I guess, um, yeah, I don't know. I think Tamus will not be very happy to see uh, his country being uh, torched. So Tamus, uh, Tamus always takes care of business. So 
<laughs> There's not a time when Tamus doesn't take care of business. Yeah, it so might think, take him ten years to plan a coup to behead the uh, king, but he's going to take care of business. Yeah, he'll get it done. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to the end of the series, and uh, yeah, moving on to other different uh, books and series. So, if you have something you want us to read or you think you'd like to see a discussion on, uh, leave us a comment. Um, you can also send us an email. We do. I have an email address set up. It's a uh, pages of light at outlook.com. So if you want to send us an email, you can uh, let us know what you want us to read or if you like the podcast or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So the next episode, we're going to be doing um, Bartimaeus ring, ring of Solomon, ring of Solomon, which is not part of the original series. There was a, an original trilogy, correct? And then ring of Solomon. Yep came out a little bit later so ring of solomon is a one-off standalone book uh so we'll do that and then if we like it maybe we'll go back and do the original trilogy i don't know we'll see what happens uh but that'll be the plan for the next two episodes is ring of solomon um so yeah you can go pick up a copy and uh read it with us we'll probably do the same thing we'll read half the book and then do a podcast and then read the second half and do another podcast um so that'll be our general plan uh, as always, you can find out more about Pages of Light on our website. You can go to pagesoflight.com and you can find us on all of the social media. You can subscribe on YouTube if you want to see uh, the video version and see our faces and reaction to things as we chat. Uh, you can get to see uh, Gabe with his Gandalf costume if you, wanted to, <laughs> yeah, if you missed. Beginning. It got too hot. I, it had to come off real fast. Yeah, I get it. Um, but yeah, so you can go check out that on the YouTube and we're also on all the other, you know, platforms or whatever. Uh, if you're on Goodreads, you can follow me if you want you can see what I'm reading. And then I have a shelf that's marked for the podcast. So you can see, uh, what is coming up in the future. Uh, yeah. If you also want to support us, we can, you can review the podcast on Apple podcasts, leave us a five star review, tell us why you like it. And also just share it with a friend. If you, uh, like what you're listening to and you want to share it with somebody and have discussion with them about these books from a Christian perspective. Uh, yeah, we welcome that and, uh, having a community. So cool. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Gabe? Um, I'm excited for you to get into the Bartimaeus trilogy. It'll be, it's a different entry point than like the first book. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this discussion next week. Yes. We'll record next week. And for you guys, It'll yeah, be we'll a little farther. Next week. Yep. Yeah, but for you, it'll, it'll be, be a down the bit. line. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that. Look forward to that. Thank you very much for watching or listening. Remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week. And we will see you guys in the next episode. See you later. Bye.